You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real show, where hopefully it's a refreshing part of your day <laughs> in the, the new world that we are living in now, which is quite a thing, isn't it? OMG. <laughs> well, this show, I intend to feed you in maybe a different way than other things are that you might be tapping into, because this show, the theme is about knowing your limits, which is kind of a contrary story to what we've been inviting our, to do during this time, which is really to evolve and grow and, you know, emerge and, you know, all of these awesome things that I totally believe and it's what my other episode before this one was about. And David Wood, our guest, is such a great um, testament to kind of, you know, overdoing it, <laughs> you know, really thinking and feeling invincible and ignoring, you know, maybe some signs and signals from our body and just going for it and then crashing. Actually, uh, literally, he crashed in a paraglider. <laughs> yes, I'm not kidding. Um, and and uh, from his body crashing with debilitating panic attacks that first happened when he was uh, visiting India to actually on a spiritual quest. And that's what the spiritual quest gave him was panic attack. So I am excited for you to meet him. It's a really fun conversation. Um, a little bit more about him is that his career started in, on Park Avenue and he was at a consulting agency for Fortune 100 companies. And some of his clients included Sony Music, Chanel, Exxon. And you would think that was you know, pretty cushy. Well, he decided to leave that job, which he talks a little bit about because it's only a small part of his story, to go into coaching. And this was years and years ago when life coaching was actually a new thing and a new idea. And he got so into it that he wound up having the number one life coaching thing come up on Google. And he was serving an audience of over 150,000 coaches at one point and coaching um, thousands of hours in 12 countries all around the globe. And in his journey, he had to overcome lots of discovering his limits 
And it's actually a pretty colorful conversation. And like I said, one of, one of the things he survived was a full collapse of his paraglider and his fractured spine. Even when he was um, super young, he witnessed the death of his sister and has been really dealing with anxiety, depression, and panic attacks for most of his adult life and had to really withdraw for a couple of years, um, went to Bali and then got kicked out of Bali. That's a real fun story and had to flee like in the dark of night. And now um, you'll hear about his new mission, which is really helping people have tough conversations when we had fun geeking out over how close our missions are. And he actually owns the URL, get real life, real, get real dot life. And mine, of course, is um, GFR dot life. So we seem to be kind of a, on the flip sides of the same journey to help people really um, get real, even to the point where one of the, the bonus that we, the bonus uh, training that we recorded for the GFR squad members is all about overcoming your hidden truth opportunities, aka tough conversations. And he actually gives a structure for having a truth audit, which of course I just geeked out over. It's really awesome. It's very structured and organized. And so if you're in the GFR squad, which by the way, it's still just $20 a month <laughs> um, to join. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there, including this special training from David. So if you want to hear more from him, just go over to gfr.life forward slash squad and go ahead and finally join the squad. I know you've been thinking about it. <laughs> and I would love to um, get to know you and be with you in our community over there. And you'll be on the front lines of my GFRing, which in our crazy crazy crucible of a time we're in is, is more potent now than ever, I think, for me and for others. So without further ado, I am so looking forward to you getting to meet David Wood. David Wood, the infamous David Wood. <laughs> Welcome to the GFR show. Thank you, Lisa. I am so excited to have you here. I, I was trying to remember who connected us, but they just know that we're both about getting real. And <laughs> they're like, you two have to meet. I love when people do that. That was really awesome. So we, I've got had the fun of being on your show and we even, you know, we had just a fun connection call one day and you were like about to get on stage and we had this awesome, like, you know, like, like a uh, union and, and kind of re-energized you. For yeah, that was, stage. that was wonderful. You know, when I have a connection call with someone, there's a part of me that feels like, uh, like subconsciously I need to perform or, or, you know, who knows what, going to work out some business opportunity and you and I just chatted you know I was in my hotel room getting ready to go on stage and you were very su supportive it was good well, timing. and you were super authentic you know and that that's I think such a testament to just the whole you know confession culture that we have here and the whole get real thing is like you were just like hey um, I kind of forgot I had this call and I'm about to you know I'm getting ready to go on stage and I'm feeling you know I, you know and you just dropped in and you know, the safety was there immediately. And then I, I, we didn't even, then we just like went into like two experienced coaches. Let's just, you know, su just supporting you and you supported, I don't know. It was just, it was one of those cool things. And uh, yeah. And I did nail that speech, by the way, he, I think they had 10 speakers that day and he came and said best one of the day. So uh, I'm blaming you. Okay. <laughs> I will take that blame, David Wood. I will take that blame. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So, and I think it, it, it's so relevant to where we're going to go with this interview, which is how you've recently reinvented yourself in the last, I don't know if it's two, three years, man, you have such a, a juicy history and a well-earned reinvention. And that's, you know, we're going to spend a bunch of time on that today. And 
you know, the intention of the show is to remind mission-driven entrepreneurs that there, you know, there just is personal struggle that we go through to up-level ourselves to hold space for the next phase or the next iteration. And when we're in it, though, it sucks. <laughs> and my, uh, my hope is that this show is sort of a constant diet of like, you can do it. It's okay. If they could do it, you can do it. No big deal. You could do it. I just want it to be this like not so subliminal uh, support system for them. Okay. So let's go to your before, way, way before. So you had a real job, quote unquote, <laughs> corporate job. And uh, so I want to hear about what that was and, and, and then what led to shifting from that corporate job. And I just want to give everybody a heads up. This is like chapter one of like a four chapter story, a four part story. So if you think we're going to talk about going from corporate to coaching and then, you know, how, you know, voila, we're here. <laughs> you are no, uh, in that's for not treat. it. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are going to be some hiccups along the way. <laughs> All right. So, so, so take us back a bit, David Wood. All right. Well, at the age of 23, I asked my boss in Australia if I could get a company transfer because I'd traveled the world. Australians, it's almost a law. Australians have to travel the world for a year. So I'd done my backpacking and I said, I can't afford to keep traveling can I move to another country and keep working? And by a miracle, I got an interview with the New York office and I had a ponytail back then. And, you know, they, they wanted to send me to big name companies and I had a ponytail and I'm kind of like, I'm so good. I can have a ponytail and still be <laughs> successful. Well, it took me a while to realize that they were only sending me to Sony Music and Chanel. They weren't letting me see the other clients, but no one was really telling me. And finally, someone said to me, you're an idiot. Be successful in spite of something that matters, like always telling the truth. Don't be successful in spite of having a ponytail. I cut my hair the next day. <laughs> we, 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 name, we should rename this episode from ponytail to... <laughs> to something else, yeah. So... Um, and then I started, you know, going to Ford and Exxon and, and working with some really big names. So I was like, this is great. I'm 23. Uh, I'm a consultant. I've got my own office. I'm going to huge names. But I wasn't happy in my marriage. And someone suggested I do a personal growth course. And I'm like, okay. And what I went along. that? <laughs> well, I went along and checked it out. And, and I thought I could use some, I've never done anything like this. I could use something like this, but they all wore name tags and they all smiled way too much. So and, I, and I'm like, this is creepy. I don't trust you. But I ended up signing up and they cracked my cynicism. They cracked my heart open. I didn't believe that there were people who honestly wanted the world to be a better place and they just spent their life doing that. I thought they're out to get my money and they're preying on the weak. Because if you do self-help, you're weak. That was my, my thinking. Well, anyway, I got, I got excited. Like, wow, these people are up for changing the world. And I changed somebody's life overnight. I coached somebody in the course. And she went and transformed her marriage after 10 years of lying to her husband. And I'm like, this is amazing. Now, at that point, I didn't know that you could do it as a career. This was back in 1997. So... Um, 
but I also wasn't that happy in my job and I was breaking up with my wife and I thought I'll be happier in Australia. Let me, let me just leave this job. I'm going to quit and I have total confidence. I'll get another job in Australia. But if you're going to quit your job, I think you should always take advantage of it because while you're working for an employer, you can't go and do six months, whatever you want to do. And I asked myself, what would I do? I was always inspired by those guys at the ski fields in the bars who'd play a song and they'd put on a black Afro and they'd sing blame it on the boogie or they they'd sing piano man and get the whole bar singing and they'd wear a kilt and play 500 miles by the proclaimers. I was always so inspired by that. And I thought I want to do that. So I quit my corporate job and I, I spent a year and a half going to pubs, building a little business as a, a, a one man entertainer who cannot sing, by the way, <laughs> I'm not a good singer. I'm a good entertainer. I'm not a good singer. I rarely got invited back to the same place. Twice. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> but I made 10 grand over a year and a half uh, and even got on national TV on our equivalent of the gong show as Mr. Woody singing pro- 500 miles by the proclaimers. So that was my sabbatical uh, while I was kind of working out what was next. And it was then that I met someone who was in a coach training program. And I'm like, whoa, hang on, what? And I'd been want, you know, wanting to do this coaching thing, but I didn't know you could do it professionally. And I said, can I hire you and just pay you something nominal because you're practicing? So I paid him 25 bucks a week. He was my first coach. And I got my first practice client around the same time. And I would do my first session with him so that I then know what to do in my first session with her. And she'd say, what are we doing next week? I'd say, ah, wait and see. Cause I hadn't had my second session with my coach. So I didn't know what you did in the second session. So you hired the, your coach to coach you on how to coach. You like created your own certification program. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and he coached me on personal stuff too, but I'm very much monkey see monkey do. If I can see something, I can replicate it. So I just needed to experience coaching from him and then, all right, I'll, I'll model that. That's how I got my start in coaching 20, 25 years ago. And I'm assuming at the point that you started the coaching part of your journey, you know, you and your uh, wife were now, was now former wife and you were, you know, on your own in, in, in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I left uh, the marriage, gone back to Australia and I still kept my certification because what I didn't say is that I was qualified as an actuary. And for people who don't know what that is, they deal with long-term financial projections, numbers, statistics. They're the ones who calculate the insurance premiums and sign off Uh, as required by law to say that this is a valid premium and the company's not going to go broke over the next 100 years. So I was, I wasn't still am a geek. You were a ponytailed actuary. I was a ponytailed actuary, uh, although I cut my hair and I kept the certification because it was, seemed like the most valuable thing I had in the world. I took me, I was top of my school, right? Out of like, I don't know, maybe we had a couple of thousand people in my school. I came top of my school and I sweat blood and tears over eight years to qualify. It was maybe the hardest thing I ever did. And it was horrendous. And I don't recommend anybody do it. 
because you can't get halfway through and quit because half an actuary is worthless. 90% of an actuary is worthless. You have to keep going to qualify. And I'm like, I, I'm never going to let go of that as long as I live. But here was a GFR moment. I had to do 40 hours a year of continuing education to keep the certification. That's a up. lot. <laughs> 40 hours. It's like a whole week. Of, of, of yeah, I mean, my husband's a chiropractor and he has to do, uh, he has to do 12 hours in person and then I think maybe eight hours online or something like that. So one day, he, once, once a year, he goes to a well, seminar. For right, a day, and he's you know? dealing with people's spinal columns, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm just dealing with numbers. And, and I realized I don't want to do it. I had no interest anymore in reading about life insurance legislation. Oh. I just, I... I was looking at it and I'm like, I can't let go of this. I've put, it's worth too much to say one day I'm an actuary. And I, the day I wrote my resignation letter was, was one of the biggest days of my life to let go of that. Cause I did not want to do. So that's a GFR commandment, letting go of what doesn't feel good. And, and I'm kind of like, it was like jumping off a cliff. Because this thing that I've spent so much of my life investing in, and this is my identity, I'm now letting go of it. And I'm just David Wood coach and former actuary and former entertainer. So that, that was a pretty scary day, but I have never, never regretted that decision. Beautiful. And how far into your self-created coaching certification did you GFR and let go of the actuary designation? Well, I would started earning some money on the side because it wasn't like, like I wasn't making anything as an entertainer. And as a, <laughs> as a coach, you know, any business they say is going to take three to five years, if you're lucky, to turn a profit. So I, you know, I was struggling a bit there. So I did some consulting on the side and it helped that I was an actuary. I was doing some actuarial consulting but then I got to the point where my coaching income was picking up and I think maybe I was a year into that and I said, I'm letting go. I don't think I'm ever going back. I really have some faith, which is another, another GFR commandment. It is. You're, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get a grade A score for the most GFR commandments in, in interjected into an interview. Thank you. Thank you. I, I will confess. I, I don't think I had faith in my mission back then, but I had faith in my business skills and like, this is working. And I, and I, and I started ranking in the top 10 on the search engines and then eventually number one on Google when it came out. So things were hotting up and I was getting leads coming in. I'm like, you know what? I can do it. I can let go. I don't think I'll ever have to go back to the consulting. And if I do, I'm pretty sure there'd be a way that I could get back in. I might have to jump through massive hoops, but I could probably salvage it. But still, it was a big, uh, big jump. Awesome. I love that. I love that. And so in your, uh, when I introed you at the beginning, I talked about serving an audience of 150,000 coaches um, and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. So, so um, I'm assuming that at one point you're like, okay, this is success. Like, I, this is it. I've arrived. This is going to be my thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, I got to six figures, which even today, if a coach breaks six figures, that's, that's huge. But back then, that must have been like 2001. 
I'm, I'm, I'm breaking six figures and I'm working on the phone from home and I lived on the water. So I'd sit in a hammock chair with ducks going under my chair, the waves lapping against the, against the, the shore. And I'd be coaching someone in Brazil about what she's going to do about the riots that are breaking out in her city. And, I'm like, and then I'd hang up and I'd call someone in the UK. And I'm like, this is amazing. Now it's not that big a thing, right? Like virtual, I mean, still it's the holy grail to a lot of people and it's more common. But back then before the four hour work week, this was amazing. And by the way, I didn't have a four hour work week um, at all. I was only coaching two and a half days a week. But as you can probably relate to, I was spending the rest of the time building my business. Yes. I was writing newsletters. I was, I was doing SEO, search engine optimization. I was um, starting to get into speaking. I was building the engine, uh, which is really fun for me. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, I could totally feel it. And it's kind of interesting because what you're sharing sounds so familiar in terms of what is put out as the holy grail and what and still to this day is is the you know the carrot that's dangled for many folks that are going into coaching and now there's 15 types of coaching you know nutrition and you know whatever else yeah, health and all yeah. that right and and so somebody listening could be like well that sounds pretty darn good so is that what you're doing now so david what then what happened <laughs> well i was doing pretty well and then i ran into some i ran into some health issues which i didn't really know i had now, when I, was, when I said I did a year of travel, the compulsory Australian trip, I did uh, have some panic attacks. I, I was in India and, and I started not sleeping. And it was very scary to have a, a whole night of not sleeping and feel like that's the most important thing in the world. And so I kind of freaked out way back then. And then the doctor gave me some medication. And after two weeks, I kind of got, you know, went back home, got around friends and got more stable. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm pretty good. I didn't know what had caused it until later in life. <clears throat> but then I go to India again, because I'm, I'm a go getter. And I, I, I had this viewpoint that I could do anything. And I thought, <clears throat> I got to go back and face India. So I just, I just met someone I was really into. I was looking for monogamy because I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done with polyamory and open relationships. I want monogamy. And I met this super hot young woman who was very flirty and we had a date. And during her date, she said, she said something about her surname or whatever. And I said, when were you married? And she goes, <laughs> were? you know, I'm married, right? I said, no. She's like, is that a problem? And I, I had to really look at it. And I said, well, I'm looking for a partner. So at some point this is going to stop, but I'm happy to date you and see you while I'm looking. Yeah, not the smartest thing in, in hindsight, but I thought I can do that. Anyway, I go to India. I have panic attacks again. And it might be hard for someone who's never had panic attacks to understand, but it's like your body's attacking you from the inside. You can't you have no control over it. There's like an enemy you can't address. And I'm just feeling so bad. I have no words to describe it. I just felt bad. My head feels horrible. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm there to do some guru course, like to sit with a guru. 
to get, become enlightened. And, <laughs> and I took the maximum amount of sleeping pill. So it's midnight. I took a little bit more than the maximum allowed dosage. And I'm still awake an hour later with my heart pounding. And that was more terrifying to me because the sleeping pill was like my way out. Right. That was supposed to, yeah, that was your salvation. Mm -hmm. That's my parachute out. And if that's not working, what have I got? And, and for years, if, if I had to name my fears, like, like what are the things I could never handle? One fear was, was being tortured, which I know is a bit ridiculous, but I was like, I could never handle being tortured. And the second one was having a nervous breakdown. I was like, what if I don't sleep and I can't sleep and I end up in a, in a mental hospital shaking and my life is over and I cannot control my mind. That was scary to me. So I'm, I'm freaking out here in India alone in a, in a little room. One of the questions in your pre-interview questions was how did you get through? Like, how did you cope? And I was thinking about that. I called a friend, which I didn't do the last time in India when I freaked out. I called a friend and she talked to me for an hour uh, internationally, probably cost me a fortune. That helped a bit to have like a lifeline. I went for a jog and people are looking at me very funny. People just don't jog on the streets of India. Uh, so I went for a jog at like 6 a.m. But I was so scared that I was going to maybe die. Because if it got worse, you know, death's in the right direction. That's, that's the direction we're going. And then I went to another friend at 7 a.m. because I was scared to wake her up. And I wish if I could go back, I would have woken her the fuck up right when this was happening. But I didn't want to burden anybody. Right. But my friend was in, in another room in the hotel and I went and woke her up. Wow, I just, I just felt in my body the relaxation. She cuddled with me. So I got some limbic connection. And she helped me realize that I thought I couldn't leave India because I'd be bailing. I'd be giving up. I'd be resigning. That would be weak for me to go home. And she said, what if that's the best gift you can give to yourself right now? And that's what you need to do. So she gave me permission to get the fuck out of there and say, I'm not doing this guru thing. I can't handle it. So I went to a doctor as soon as the doctor opened. The doctor gave me something I'd never heard of called Xanax. That saved the day. That actually allowed me to get, get some sleep. I used it on the plane. I slept. Oh, and on the plane, you'll love this. I saw a face that I recognized. On the plane, heading home, I'm just like freaking out, even on Xanax. And they nearly didn't let me on the plane because I told them that I, I had anxiety. And so they had to call London to see if I was allowed on the plane. And I'm like, I saw a face. It was a guy at a yoga class that I'd seen in India in the two days I'd been there. I asked him if he would sit next to me for a bit and I told him what was happening. I revealed what was happening to this guy and he basically like held my hand and, and calmed me down. And I mean, that was, that was like 17 years ago and I'm in touch with that guy to this day. Wow. wow. So there's, an, there's another lesson about asking for help. And when I got home, I asked for help in ways I never had in my life. I'd never had to. I reached out to friends and said, to a couple of friends and said, would you come over and sleep on my couch? 
because I'm having trouble sleeping and I could use some help. And I, I got support from unlikely quarters. So that was a big lesson. And I think that's how I got through that huge dive down. Well, and I, you know, you said that you felt very invincible, like that you, you know, that you just sort of, you would think at the surface, like, well, that's freaking awesome that you feel that way and you could feel like you could do anything. And, you know, the, the dark side of it is not asking for help. I think, you know, is like, I don't need anyone. I can do all the things. Well, two dark, two dark sides. One is not asking for help, but the other one is not acknowledging my limits. I didn't know I had any. (laughs) I like, like, you know, later on at the age of, I think 40, 44, I'm doing parkour, which is like street acrobatics, diving off buildings and and rolling and whatever. And I'm like, you know, and there's a 14 year old kid looking at me like, you're my dad's age. He couldn't get his head around. I'm like, age is just a number. What are you talking about? Well, I went to hospital in an ambulance from that one. And I learned that the body doesn't heal as well. I got some limits. And the woman that I was dating who was married, and this was all above board. I want people to know um, her husband knew and I met him and uh, there was nothing hidden there. Yeah, ethical non-monogamy. Yeah, yeah, it was ethical. But I fell in love with this woman. And uh, looking back, one of my mistakes was dating a woman who wanted out of her marriage. It wasn't a stable situation. And a year later, I went a year without medication because I, I had learned to take medication. That was another lesson. Sometimes you take the medication. Um, and then I thought, I need a year off medication to see what happens and see if I can do it and heal myself naturally. And I did it. And it was a very powerful year because it taught me that I, that I, I can have the ability. But then I stopped sleeping again. And for three or four weeks, I was getting 20 minutes of sleep some nights. Oh my God, that's, that sounds like torture. So your fear abs- of being tortured, that's torture. You're right. It was absolute torture. But I was so spiritual warrior at this stage. I would, some nights I'd get three hours of sleep, but it was so broken. Like I'm half awake, I'm half asleep. And then when I, I jolt awake with adrenaline shooting through my body, and I'd have dreams of like planes attacking me I and mean, kamikaze coming and crashing into me. I was trying everything. I, I was doing some therapy and I was jogging every day to get the physical and I was eating well. And I'm like, I'm going to heal this naturally. And I had a doctor friend begging me. He said, your brain chemistry is out of balance. Just take something to get yourself back into balance. You can still do all that healthy stuff. I wouldn't listen because I, I was, I was like, I need to, maybe I needed to find my, find my limits. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely um, a through line, which I'm sure you, you know, you, yeah. Like, and I'm also want a presence that you're coaching, right? So, so you are having this personal journey of, of testing your limits, you know, realizing you have them, but sort of testing them, like, where are they, you know, um, and, and asking for help and new breaking new ground with asking for help. In the meantime, you're coaching other people. And, you know, from what I know, our personal journey impacts the way that we're showing up for people, particularly in a coaching relationship. So I imagine 
that this whole time you're like infusing the coaching, you know, relationship and the marketing with like, I'm going medication for free for a year or, you know, you know, or I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to heal this thing or, you know, so it's, was there like a public part of your journey or that, you know, that this was impacting how you were showing up for your clients or was it just all in the background and you were I think it was more, more in the background. Uh, Some good advice I got once was don't, don't share your wound while you're still bleeding from it. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. So I don't think that that was very public at the time. I was still reeling from it and trying to work out how to handle this. Yeah. So then it makes it, then there's like the flip side is then you, for me, I, I feel a little out of alignment or a little not authentic because I'm holding space for other people and their great life. And meanwhile, I'm struggling. So I don't know if that. I don't, I don't know. You know, even when I'm struggling, I somehow seem to be able to show up for my clients. So uh, I I don't remember. There might've been, you know, some misalignment, but when I'm, when I'm dealing with something, I won't usually share it until I have a bit of a handle on it and I can share the lesson with people. So so anyway, and the through, the through message, you know, the theme, which I still hadn't spotted, was that I'm dating a married woman. And I hadn't put, hadn't put all the pieces together yet, but it, it makes sense later, because I'd actually bought her a ticket. So bought her and her husband a ticket so that they could go and travel together, because they didn't have much money. And I thought, I'm going to lean into this instead of resisting it. And that's when I stopped sleeping, but I didn't put it together. So then I go into this deep depression, which I didn't know what depression was until then, but I was exhausted all day and I was wired so I couldn't sleep. If I could have slept eight hours a day, then that's the way I would have passed the time. But I'm exhausted and can't sleep. It really was another form of hell. And by the time you get so bad that you decide, okay, I'm gonna go on antidepressants, you've probably left it a bit late because the antidepressants can take four to six weeks to kick in. So now I had to deal with it another month of what I thought was too much to bear. And that's when I started, that's when I put it together. And it was actually a, a general practitioner, a, just a regular doctor. I went for something else and I mentioned the fatigue and he said, is there anything in your life that might be disruptive right now? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm dating a married woman and I want her to come and be with me because I feel like I really need support. And she says she can't come right now. She needs to handle, attend to her marriage. And he said, that'll do it. <laughs> that was it. Like, that was like, are you, I'm like, are Five you minutes ki-? of counseling. <laughs> yeah. He just offhanded. And he was, he was actually like writing the prescription at the time. He just said offhandedly, yeah, that'll do it. That'd cause depression. I didn't know. And I didn't even know fatigue was a symptom of depression so I was like, oh, wow. And then I'm getting a massage from a woman. And sometimes masseuses like to talk and they do a bit of counseling. And, you know, and she, she just said, who else in your life was never available in the way that this woman's not available? And I'm like, oh, my God, what? When my sister died when I was young, uh, my parents switched off. Yes. And my mother was never available. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to repeat this pattern of this being with unavailable women. Isn't that amazing? I had all this therapy and that didn't, didn't unearth this, but these people did. And so I had to draw a line in the sand and that was so hard. 
But I had to say to this woman that I was so in love with and who had promised me we're going to get married, I had to say, enough. And we were due to fly to an island to my brother's wedding. And I said, I can't do that with you. I can't go and then find out we're not going to work out. I have, to, I have to draw a line now. And she said, well, I have to go back and be with my husband and tell him in person. You know what? She never did any of that. I broke up with her four times because each time she would know what to say and do to get me back. Finally, that was so hard for me to learn the hard way that I'm getting played and I'm getting sucked in and here's my weak spot. So I Especially learned a when lot. you don't see yourself as having limits. Yeah, yeah. I can handle this, open heart, all of that. So I learned some humility. I learned that my body has limits. I learned my psyche has limits. I learned to have some compassion for the parts that I don't fully understand. Like apparently losing my sister when I was very young has created a fear of abandonment. That seems a reasonable story. So yes. I've learned that now. So now... I'd like to say I don't do poly, but I do it. If I am going to do it, I do it with my eyes open and I'm much clearer about my needs. And I did in the last four years go into a relationship that was poly. And I'm very proud of myself because when my body started acting up and, and I got deathly sick one day, uh, and I think it was triggered by what was going on. I was able to say, Hey, this is not what I need. And, uh, and if I don't get what I need, I, I will need to break up. And I did that uh, very lovingly and we're still very dear friends. So I learned about that and I learned about medication. I kind of have a sense now of how far my body can go. And if it gets to a certain point, I'll take a sleeping pill. I'll take the antidepressant. I just went back on it uh, a month ago and my life got three times better. I'm not kidding you. I went through eight months of, of, of hell just recently because I'm like, I'm doing it again. I'm going to get off the antidepressant and do ayahuasca, the jungle medicine. I'm going to do combo, combo, the frog sweat that has you throwing up and vomiting and just miserable. I'm going to do these things to see if I can heal. The spiritual warrior in you. The spiritual warrior. And like, what if this is the healing thing that changes my whole life? It didn't. And in the end, I'm like, David, you need to take care of yourself. You need to know when to be the spiritual warrior and when to have a bubble bath. So I'm doing so much better just going back on the damn medicine. Bravo. Bravo. Like, seriously, bravo. Especially, I'm so glad that you're a man giving this message because I think it's even more profound and more impactful, especially the bubble bath part. You know, that, that it's, okay to, it's okay to have limits and to ask for help and to go on medication when we need to and to, you know, it's just, there's so much in your story that is so important and you learned it the hard way and maybe somebody listening might be like, ah, oh, fuck, okay, I need to go back on my antidepressants. I don't know why I was trying to, you know, gut it through, even if it's just for a little, you know, like somebody's going to hear something in this that's going to give them permission. This is a big part of the show is going to give them permission to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. And ultimately it is going to impact how they show up in the world and how they're contributing. So, so thank you for that. And can you, so, so with all of that you were going through um, and the wall that you hit, 
I'm assuming that it negatively impacted your coaching business. So like what happened, like how did, what happened there? Because I think, you know, you, you, one of your greatest fears is um, being tortured or having a nervous breakdown. And when I, you know, one of my biggest fears around my business used to be, I would get migraines sometimes two weeks at a time and I didn't know what was happening or how to fix it. And I'd be like, how could I be an entrepreneur when I, when I could be out of commission for, for a couple of weeks. So how did all this impact, you know, your, your professional life? I, I don't know that it did. Well, when did the transition happen from and, that to the new thing? Right there. I know there was one, so maybe I'm just the timing. I'm off on the timing. Oh, well, well, like back then, I don't think it hurt it. I I'd gone into digital product a lot. And so I had, I was making money while I slept. So uh, and I w- probably wasn't doing a lot of coaching, one-on-one okay. coaching back then. I was selling my 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 products, so I don't think that that hurt it. But when what did hurt it is a few years later, I I did a book launch, and I put 150 grand and two and a half years of my life into writing this book and launching it and paying for publicists and ghostwriters, and I'm like flying interstate to be on national TV and I'm doing all of this stuff and build up this huge launch to one point in time when the gates would open and people could buy my training. So I, I gave away the book for free and we raised $60,000 for Sting's Rainforest Foundation and did this great campaign. I was so on fire with this thing. And the day that the thing launched, the moment that it launched, the fucking server crashed. Oh my gosh. What makes me re- really angry is I had paid for server reinforcement so that it doesn't crash. Yeah, and you had thought of all the contingent, you had, you had thought of all of the scenarios. There's a company and- that does this to make sure that when the servers hit with this massive load, it doesn't crash. It crashed and there was almost, there was so little money made and that was where I was gonna recoup all of this thing. And I remember falling to my knees and sobbing in my bedroom at the release of tension, I assume they're built up over two and a half years and just the expectation. Yeah. And I was burned out at that point, probably from pushing my adrenals too much. I didn't really know. I'm still learning how to slow down. And I've been saying for 10 years, I want to stop helping coaches with their business. I want to work with people on personal things, on courage, on truth, revelations, authenticity, getting fucking real. And I've been saying that, and yet here I am still doing the business stuff because I'm good at it, and I wanted to have a book, and Jack Canfield had written the foreword, and like all this is like all set up. I was just burned out. And you were, den- you were denying a part of yourself. You weren't being fully expressed. Yeah, and I had go- I'd created golden handcuffs for myself, yes. which I, I imagine some listeners can understand. Same with when I qualified as an actuary. It's like, how do I let go of that? I wasn't willing to let go of this coaching thing. And I didn't really trust that I could make money coaching people on life issues. And the, and I was so niched in the coaching, like building a coaching business. So I burned out and it was a slow death of my business. I just had nothing to email them. I had 150,000 people on my mailing list and I didn't want to write to them. And so I had one last hurrah where I did a live event and Jack Canfield came and spoke. And I'm glad I did that 
But again, that didn't really make money. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, another gamble and another, another, another thing that you were hoping would, the payoff yep. would be there. Yeah. Yep. And it wasn't, the payoff was, payoff was I got to hold my first event and have my friends show up. Yeah. I had, I had Nicole Daydone from One Taste and Satyan Raja from Warrior Sage and, and uh, Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup. I, I had my friends come and be with me. That was a win. But then I'm burned out and, and I thought, what would I do if I had six months to live? It's a great question. And I thought I would go back to Bali. I'd always love the people there. I'd go back to Bali. So the short version is I sold everything I had except for two suitcases and I moved to Bali and I got a mansion in the rice paddy, surrounded by rice paddies, creek running down the bottom. I had staff that would wash my scooter for me and cook for me and clean for me. I'd have a massage every day. I basically went there to slowly die because I just, I didn't have the passion anymore for, for, for a mission. And so that was, that was like two and two and a half years of like luxurious wasting away. And that's when I had another GFR moment when someone came with a badge to my door, flashed a badge and spoke to me in rapid Indonesian and said, I had to appear for an interview with immigration the next morning because uh, they said I had been advertising a room for rent. And now in any other country, <laughs> no one cares if you're renting a room and you don't have a work visa. They don't actually consider that making money. But in Bali, they do. It's a big deal. And I understand it because you're taking away work from locals. Anything you do that brings in money, even if it's subletting a, a room, I went into panic. After being there two and a half years, this happened uh, one day. Two and a half years. I've got this life set up. I've got a, a cat that we rescued from the rice paddies. I've got friends. I've got this life. And at end, my, my little Airbnb thing on the side was covering my rent. So I'm living, yeah. living rent-free. So that was Now, my you said business. I went there to slowly die or I was wasting away. What it, it, Did that, because it doesn't sound like you were in that same frame of mind when the police came to your door like that somewhere along the way you decided you wanted to live or that you like maybe this was your life or it wasn't like I wanted to die but I was kind of tolerating like I'm in paradise but I'm I'm still kind of struggling with just enjoying life I wasn't yeah. I, I still had, had a lot of fatigue so illuminating right like wherever you go there you are right you yes. think like I'm in fucking Bali I'm I, being waited on I'm in a mansion and I'm still <laughs> right I was good for a while but then you know I played video game at this one game I played this one game <laughs> should we even mention the name <laughs> I probably shouldn't but I will <laughs> This one game, I when I look when I this game is called StarCraft 2. And for people who aren't into video games, know that in Korea, StarCraft 2 is their national sport. <laughs> they have planes, fleets of, of jumbos with StarCraft images and characters on it. It is a whole thing. And when I downloaded it in Bali, I said out loud, I give myself to the game. Oh boy. Because it's I like, know myself and I'd been addicted to it before and I can't play a little bit. I can't play a little bit. So I said, I give myself to the game. 
and I played eight hours a day for eight months. Oh my God, David. Yeah, I tell you what, part of it was, I, I had another interview with one podcast host and he goes, awesome. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I love you. So, part of it was cool. You know, if you combine adrenaline with alcohol. Cool for, you know, oh, maybe a month or two, but eight months. <laughs> I know, it wasn't healthy. And so I was, I was wasting away in many ways. And sounds like you were. Yeah. Um, but then I, I have an interesting life because I also was dating a tantrika. I fell in love with a tantra teacher and yeah, she's concerned about me, in but they're in Bali, but there are, but then I'm also doing this tantra course and I would, I would go once a week and cuddle with men and women to reset my limbic system. So it was a whole mix, but I, I didn't have a mission. Lisa, I was missing a mission and I really need a purpose and a mission. So this guy shows up and now I'm in panic because I don't know, should I be on a plane out of here or is that overreacting? Is that just stupid? And so I went into war mode and I'm really good in an emergency. I'm someone you want in your corner. I um, called a friend and said, I need you now come over now. So she came over, she's ordering food. She's trying to get my cat from the rice patties because the cat isn't allowed out because it's been attacked by a dog. She's like, she's, she's looking at flights and I'm trying to get in touch with lawyers. And I found out that there was a chance that I would go to jail for renting a villa. Like they can hold you in jail possibly as long as they want while I'm negotiating a bribe. Oh, geez. And I just, I'm like, that's not a good negotiating position. You know, maybe they're going to charge me $100,000 to get out. I don't know. So I got hold of a lawyer who wasn't my lawyer because I didn't trust him because he's trying to negotiate the bribe. And I heard they take a cut and I, I didn't trust him at all. And I spoke to a lawyer who didn't know me and she said, leave. Leave the country, dismantle everything, come back in three months, everything will be fine. I said, I said, literally, I could kiss you. Thank you. I needed that information. So the rest of the day was me packing up, trying to get my passport back from my lawyer who had it for visa reasons without letting him know why I wanted the passport. Right. And, and then going to the airport and hoping I wasn't flagged. Right. Because they, they, they knew my passport number because they called my lawyer and he, you know, they had a copy of it. It was born identity stuff. This stuff is fun when you watch it on a movie. It's fun <laughs> and it's exciting. But I never realize what it's like to be in it. Yeah, the it's stress. Not I fun can't even me. imagine the stress. Not Again, fun you're at all. Close to being in a situation where you're being tortured. I mean, you really manifest well, David Wood. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I left the country. I got out. And that feeling when the plane took off, that feeling of freedom was, and relief was, was huge because I, I don't know that I'd do well in jail, to be honest. I just don't know I'd do well with my anxiety and, you know, if I can't have medication or whatever, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. One of our first GFR guests, I think it's episode two, uh, is about her winding up being falsely imprisoned for four and a half years away from I listened to that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've got a fascination with prison and I, I actually go and train prison inmates now. And there's part of me that's like, interesting, you know, like the fascination of what that would be like. But, but uh, universe, I don't think I need that experience. Yeah, I'm no, say that out no, loud. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay, so, you, so the universe extracts you 
very quickly from Bali. Same day. Plucks, pluck, 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 plops you down back into the States. So I want this last segment to be about your reinvention because I love, I mean, the story like would make a great movie. <laughs> there's so many I think different so. chapters. Yeah. So, so much of, yeah, there's just so much that you shared that you learned about yourself along the way and the fears and, you know, how it manifests in your body and learning your limits and, but feeling like a spiritual warrior and, you know, all these these, these ways that we, these decisions we make about ourselves and then to, you know, and then to be challenged on that and to rearrange. And so now you're back in the States and I would love to share with the listeners sort of like from what you're doing now, um, how, like, how did all this serve you in the reinvention of what you're doing now? Yeah. Well, I couldn't go back to the States because I'd lost my green card having been in Bali so long. So I oh go, right, I, I forget. I, even though you're sitting, you're talking to me with an accent, I forget that you're not yeah. from the states. So I, I, that was one of the issues. It's like the U.S. felt like my home, and I couldn't, mm. I couldn't go back and live in the U.S. So, uh, and also I'd lost the income from subletting that 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 villa, which meant I like, how do I make money now? I'd let go of my list of 150,000 people. I hadn't, wow. you know, that was atrophied. And I'd let go of my coaching clients because I'd, I'd relied on a digital income. And then you have to maintain that stuff. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you can't stay number one on Google by doing nothing. But you still had all those, I mean, the relationships that you had created, right? I had on? the goodwill of, my, of, of some connections that also had atrophy because it had been like four or five years since I'd spoken to people like Jack Canfield and, you know. You kind of disappeared, right? You yeah, kinda, I had. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm like, what do I do? And a good friend of mine said, you're a really good coach. <laughs> you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you go back to that? And so, and he said, I'll send an email for you. Nice. And, and he's got a huge email list. And I'm like, wow, I'm not, I'm not going to let that pass. So I jumped on that <clears throat> and he did end up sending an email. And that one email brought in $60,000 in client revenue. Wow. So I really, I'm so grateful to him. And I had to look like, if I'm not coaching coaches, what do I do? And I had to start from scratch. And it took two years to settle on a niche. And I realized I want to work with people who are are not struggling financially because then they're having trouble paying their, their coaching bill. They're successful in many areas. They identify as a high performer because that's how I identify. And it's fun for me to, to relate with those people and they could use some help partly in their business or career, because that kind of pays the bills. They can justify it financially. And I'm great at that, but they also want help in speaking more truth in their leadership skills, their communication, their collaboration, their managing their, maybe with their kid, they want help in that area. So I can do the life stuff that I really want to do. And now two and a half years later, that is what I'm doing. I'm now coaching in the corporate market. I've got some vice presidents. Just did an interview with a VP at Warner Brothers on the impact coaching's having with her. And it got me to the place I've been wanting to get to for 10 or 15 years where I can speak about truth. I can speak about tough conversations. We can still cover business stuff. Like I'm not going to throw that out, but we can do both. And I didn't know that that was possible. 
and I feel on mission. I love doing interviews like this one, and I, I'm loving my clients. And a school principal has just hired us to fly to Virginia and train 60 teachers nice. in tough conversations so they can transform the culture and have that ripple through to the kids. I'm like, now I'm on mission. Beautiful. Oh, I get the chills. I got the chills. Um, it's so profound. And, you know, and, th and this is why whoever put us together, put us together because, you know, I have a 20 year career too. And I was focused on marketing and selling and leveraging and all these things. And now I get to focus on the part that, you know, I always enjoyed the most, which was how are you getting in your own way? That's keeping you from doing the sales and the marketing and all, you know, and all the things. And, really helping people to GFR about, about that, because that's really ultimately serving their mission, you know, um, and their own personal growth as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're both getting to play in, in the sandbox, you know, in the way that we want, but it's like, we don't forget about, like, I'm not, I'm not, not talking about marketing and selling and leveraging and your business model, but we're for sure making that, um, you know, the being happy and feeling good part of it is the priority and then how that informs the rest of it. Yes. So, and I'm yeah. still tempted towards the dark side. Like, if <laughs> I, like seriously, if I just wanted to make money coaching, I'd probably coach on productivity because I'm good at it. It's the low hanging fruit. Most people's minds are like a, a monkey on crack and I could help people get twice as productive and they'll pay for that. But I'm not that interested in it. I'll talk about it for five minutes. I don't want to spend my life on it. So it's taking some faith. This is another GFR yes, commandment. Yes, it to is. Have faith in yourself have faith and your in mission. Yourself and your mission, number six. What would I do differently if I had faith in myself <clears throat> and my mission? Yep. And so I have faith that it's right, even though I think it's a bit harder to sell. It's right for me to speak about tough conversations and truth and authenticity, and that'll flow out, and I'll still find the right people that I can help. Uh, maybe we, I do help them on productivity, but I don't want that to be the flag that I fly. Yeah. So when you say I'm tempted by the dark side, define the dark side for you. Just going straight for money. Okay. You know, Great. that's a bit of a, a dark side. It's so tempting. I know I could rock it out and it's still valid. Look, I, I, if I was coaching myself, I might say you could still do it and that could be the flag you fly. And then when they come in, you'll find out all these other things that you can help them with. So there's that, but it doesn't. It still light feels me like up. a compromise, though. You feel like you still feel like truth. You're not, yeah, truth is one of my highest, highest values, and then daring as a as a close second, as you might have taught, gotten from this interview, daring and leaning into your fears, uh, and truth truth telling takes a lot of courage. So they oh they my together freaking very well. god, yes, it does. It takes enormous courage, enormous courage. Oh my gosh, David Wood, uh, we could totally talk for another eight hours, just like that video game. <laughs> I could, uh, it, yeah, super fun talking with somebody who has, um, the life has put you through the paces to get you here for you to resist the temptation of the dark side so that you could hold space for transformation around tough conversations and people being real in that way. And that you're holding yourself to a similar you know, uh, integrity there in your own personal life. And I feel like ultimately that congruence is going to keep the panic attacks and the depression, you know, a lot of those things, you know, at bay. Yes. And the realization that I need to take care of myself and not always be the warrior. So going back on the antidepressant a month ago was just 
one of the best gifts I, I could give myself. You know, I'll still, it's a dance, yes. right? I went off for eight months to try some of the more natural methods. And it's like, okay, that didn't do it. Come back. You got to know when to pull out. And I think, I think I pulled out at the right time. I didn't let myself yes. get down into the deep, dark depths where it, depths where it can be, be really bad. Yes. And I think it is a dance, you know, um, you know, we had a prior guest a couple episodes before yours, this Anna Rockenbach, who is uh, one of the founders of hoop dancing. And she talked about, you know, we said, okay, we're not going to talk about one, you know, that she got to one pinnacle thing, which was one thing she did share was pretty profound. But she's like, you know, I, I, what about we talk about the one I had last week, too, <laughs> you know, and so we just said, yes, let's let let's let the theme of this show be that there is multiple ups and downs. We don't need to end on a high like you're all fixed. And so I, I really appreciate that. Um, I was just talking about that yesterday with a friend, how, you know, I want to be at a certain frequency. And she said, well, you know, frequency is like waves. It's like a radio wave. So there is still some variation within the frequency that you want to be in. So, yeah. um, and I think that that actually brings more comfort than anything else. Agreed. All right. So final thought from you that you think the listeners need to hear as a nice exclamation point on your story. Work out for yourself and on a case-by-case -case basis, if it's time to take a bubble bath or jump off a cliff. <laughs> and you mean jump off a cliff like in a, in a skydiving kind of way, not in a... Uh... In a good, yeah, in a good way. Like take, <laughs> take a risk, right? And be the warrior. So if you're feeling a bit complacent and stagnant and bored, all right, go and find your edge and ride it. Do something that's a bit edgy for you and, and face your fears head on. But if you're feeling a bit burned out and panicky and anxious and like bitten off too much more than you can chew in the business or the career or the relationship or whatever, ask yourself, do I need a bubble bath right now? How can I take self-care, take something off my plate, go and take a sabbatical? Like, what do you need? You're the one, the only one who can decide if it's time for a bubble bath or cliff jumping. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Thank you, David Wood. It's been a uh, fun, wild ride. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure. Wow, what a fun conversation that was. I think I said I gave him the award for the most GFR commandments mentioned in any one episode. <laughs> he just really enjoyed them and it was really fun kind of giving them real world application. If you haven't gotten your copy of them yet, I, they now come with a, a two minute process on how to utilize them in your day-to-day -day life to uncover the one that's gonna give you the biggest transformation breakthrough that you most need right now. So go grab those at gfr.life forward slash 12C. And a gift from David is his free four-step tough conversation blueprint. And it comes with a tough conversation worksheet. And for those of you that are quarantined with your family and maybe having to have more tough conversations in a shorter period of time than ever before, you're going to want to go grab that. The link is in the show notes. And he's also offering my listeners a free discovery session with him, which I thought was super, super generous. And so when you go to that page link here in the show notes to get your tough conversation blueprint and worksheet, there also is a button there to to request a session with him. And he is an amazing coach and has such keen sense uh, and can laser in there pretty quickly. So I highly recommend grabbing this before he takes it away or something. And uh, yeah, so thank you for being with me. And now more than ever, it's um, really 
beautiful to see how the show is impacting people. Something that somebody said to me today was that actually helped give them permission to no longer hide parts of their story and to really understand that it is actually all part of the birthing of their mission and they don't need to be embarrassed about anything. And so I just, that made me cry. It was so just, yeah, what, what this is all about. So I hope it's doing that for you in some way that you get to see that your, your life journey, including anything that you're going through right now because of what's happening around the world is part of the up-leveling, the birthing of your contribution here on this planet. And I hope the GFR show really feeds into that narrative for you and gives you permission. Over and out for now.